Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. Late last year, WUSF began reporting on how distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine exposes inequities in Florida's healthcare system. The state reports 49% of white Floridians are vaccinated compared with 31% of black people. Rates for Hispanic Floridians lagged behind for most of the pandemic, but have now caught up. Our reporters and editors spent several months listening to groups invested in the health of communities of color, giving them a chance to share how they've been affected by Florida's handling of the pandemic. We're also looking at ways these communities are closing the gap. The result is a series of stories called Unequal Shots. On today's show, I'm talking with reporters Carrie Sheridan and Stephanie Colombini. Stephanie, just to get going here, tell me how this project began. We really came at it separately. You know, everybody's working remotely. And so Carrie and I were doing individual reporting and realized we were both sort of interested in in covering the same topic. I had been covering the pandemic from the very beginning um, and had been following the the clinical trials for the vaccines. And I actually did a story about the VA in Tampa doing trials. And they really talked about the importance of getting people of color involved in testing and accepting the vaccine. Because number one, we knew that that black and brown communities were hit the hardest by the COVID-19 pandemic in terms of people getting sick and dying. And then there is so much historical and even current abuse in the medical the healthcare system, uh, racism and discrimination. And so getting that trust and getting people on board would be a little more challenging. And so we we went into this knowing that there would be this challenge and a need for equitable distribution. And we wanted to find out would there be? Um, and, and Carrie, if you want to come at you know, where you're coming from. Sure. I mean, early on in the vaccine rollout, um, we were interested, both of us, Stephanie and I, in looking at how, how the vaccine was going to reach people who were going to need it the most. And Governor Ron DeSantis had said from the beginning that he was going to put seniors first and that there was no racial discrimination in the vaccine rollout. But we were both talking to community advocates on the ground who were seeing that black and brown communities were getting hit particularly hard. And for a variety of reasons, they were even less likely to get a vaccine than white people were. So they were saying, we we really need a concerted effort to make sure that this is an equitable rollout. Otherwise, it won't be. So we wanted to look at that and see how it unfolded. And uh, on that point, I want to play a clip here from uh, one of your stories. And I want to do this to illustrate for folks because so much has happened since the vaccine rollout started last December, um, what Governor Ron DeSantis was saying versus uh, kind of how it played out in the real world. So here's a little excerpt from, from one of your pieces. Governor Ron DeSantis put a priority on older people who are more likely to get sick and die of COVID-19 as soon as vaccines against coronavirus became available in December 2020. Of course, the vaccine wasn't just for white seniors, but Sarasota doctor Lisa Merritt, who heads the Multicultural Health Institute, says the way Florida handled the initial rollout tended to favor people with education and money. There's such a disconnect from privileged people worrying about how they can pay their way to get first in line for the vaccine to the people on the ground just trying to find out where they're going to get their next meal. 
Seniors who got the vaccine early were those who could navigate the chaotic sign-up process, often helped by younger family members who secured appointments for them, says Deborah Austin of the Tampa-based group ReachUp. You got to have internet access. You got to be able to sit there and wait. I mean, people have said it, even with the phone, it took them a hundred times. I mean, you even have to have time. So that's uh, an excerpt from uh, from one of your stories in the Unequal Shots series. And Stephanie, I remember getting a text from you one uh, Sunday evening in early March when you said that vaccines were available for all USF employees. And I remember that time when there was the, kind of this frantic race to get vaccinated because mm-hmm. the, the, the rollout was so confusing. And, you know, you had to sign up for appointments and you had to do this and you had to do that. How did that kind of layer of, of confusion and disorganization just kind of multiply or amplify some of these disparities that are historical in, in, in communities of color? Yeah, I think one of the biggest disparities it, it highlighted was the digital divide that we have in this community. If you don't have quality internet access, a computer at home, and then on top of just the access, you know, the knowledge and kind of savvy to, to know how to research these things and, and refresh a page a hundred times and, and find the connections, that was a real challenge that put people with with money ahead of those who maybe didn't. And, and, and the time, like Deborah Austin says in that clip, people are working. And, and even with seniors, maybe some of them were retired. Everyone was relying on their younger family members to kind of help out. And so were your older children available to take time off work, to take you to your appointment and sit at one of those drive through sites for five hours? You know, were they able to navigate and have five people on a computer at once trying to secure that one appointment everybody is fighting over? So it really did highlight those existing inequities in terms of economics, digital literacy, and transportation even getting to these places. And so it did kind of start off as, you know, the privileged few were getting it and everyone else was getting left behind. Carrie, how did you see that play out uh, in Sarasota? Well, I found it very interesting to watch the community really take action, um, members of the community and all these different kind of nonprofit groups, community health groups, just advocates across the spectrum coming together to try to help people in their communities. Um, I followed Dr. Lisa Merritt's work closely. She leads the Multicultural Health Institute in Sarasota, and she convenes a weekly Zoom call with all different kinds of people who want to weigh in, doctors, experts, advocates, about what what can be done to help people get the vaccine. And it was really interesting to see the level of dedication that people have for their own communities, but also the level of dedication that was needed really and continues to be needed to get the vaccine into areas where people are less likely to take up the vaccine. And uh, on that point, I'm going to play another excerpt here from one of your stories. This is where you visited a, uh, a vaccine event in St. Petersburg uh, that was that was geared toward uh, the black community there. Here's that, uh, here's that clip. With mixed messages from the top and a lack of trust in the establishment, many people turn to their family and friends for guidance, like 39-year-old Courtney Poole, who credits her relatives for pushing her to get the shot. Well, we get together, they're like, did you get the vaccine? And I'm like, no, not yet. So... <laughs> My mom was reluctant to like hug me like, oh, you didn't get the vaccine. If I sneeze, she's like, uh-uh, put on the mask. Poole says she was also concerned about the Delta variant after her kids had COVID scares at summer camp. And the recent surge in cases is driving others to get off the fence. 
So that's uh, another excerpt from our series, Unequal Shots, with Stephanie Colombini and Carrie Sheridan. Carrie, you talked at the end there about the Delta variant, and, and again, that's that's just another variable in this whole rollout, right? Uh, the surge in Delta cases that we saw in the late summer here in Florida, did that maybe help get some people off of the fence uh, who may have been reluctant to get vaccinated? Well, I can't tell you, Bradley, how many times I've heard experts say Delta really changed the game. It made everything that we thought we had learned last year um, obsolete. You know, it was just so contagious and it just seemed that, you know, people are, are going to get it. It's out there. It's very, very contagious. And so a lot more people were getting infected, but also more people were getting the shots because they were seeing it again, you know, or, or maybe for the first time in their friends and family, people getting sick. Um, there's a coalition in Sarasota called Shots in Arms, which is um, led by the Sarasota NAACP and a local doctor named Dr. Washington Hill. And they go out to events on weekends. They have a bus or a, it's kind of a van and they can help people get shots. And sometimes the progress is very slow, but uh, they're very dedicated and they feel that even giving a few people here and there the shot is something worthwhile. Stephanie, anything you want to add to that? Hearing that family pressure like Courtney describes really just highlights the value of having people in the community, just every resident, educated about what this vaccine can do because they're the ones then who are empowered to tell their friends and family members about it. And that's that trusted source of advice that unfortunately right now, maybe not everybody has in their government leaders or even some of these you know, institutional scientists. It's important that everybody is sending the consistent message, but it comes down to the people in your life who you trust, who can convince you to make the decision a lot of times. You're listening to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. Today, we're talking with Health News Florida reporters Carrie Sheridan and Stephanie Colombini about their reporting on inequities in the state's vaccine rollout. Their work and the conversations we bring you each week on Florida Matters are made possible by generous listeners who support WUSF. Here's how you can join. This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. Today, I'm talking with Health News Florida reporters Stephanie Colombini and Carrie Sheridan about their series, Unequal Shots, which looks at disparities in COVID-19 vaccinations. When the vaccines became widely available in February, about 5% of the Hispanic population got the shot, compared to 10% of the state's non-Hispanic population. Francis Luna, program manager at the Hispanic Services Council, says distrust was a big reason why. I think it, the things that we see in the Hispanic community is a lot of the things that we see in other communities, right? The white population or African-American or, or the Asians or other minorities is that they didn't really know what was happening and what caused it. And things were changing so frequently that they were questioning, like, who do we believe? She says her group began relying heavily on Spanish-speaking health advocates who could promote the vaccine in their communities. We work with promotoras de salud or community health workers, um, and they're seen as a trusted source of information. Um, our promotoras live in those communities and work with those community members, so they're an integral part for information sharing about vaccination efforts here locally. 
Carrie, tell me a little bit more about those uh, community health workers, the Promotoris de Salud. Well, they are, like Francis Luna said there, they are connected in the communities and they are a trusted source of information. One event that I went to, I interviewed a woman from the Hispanic Democratic Caucus of Manatee County, and she had tried to organize a vaccine event at a Walmart in Palmetto, and very few people showed up. Out of 300 registered, they had just 15 people attend. And, you know, she was telling me that she was worried about this and that even though she was of a Hispanic background herself, um, she was also a native New Yorker and she felt that she didn't have the real good connection in the local community that she needed. And that was just kind of one case where over time we saw these promotores really, really taking a larger role and community advocates using them to gain trust of people in the community. So I want to shift the conversation a little bit and talk about how you and uh, and you, Stephanie and, and Carrie, reported on this series. You know, a lot of times when you're a reporter, you just you, know, you make a couple of phone calls. Maybe you do some research on on the internet, and you go out and you report your story, and that's it. But with this, you all tried to be really intentional about building trust in these communities, listening to these communities, and doing that for a long time first before you turned on your recorders and started interviewing people. Stephanie, why was it important for you to do that? We really wanted to make sure that the community was speaking for itself, that we weren't dropping in as white reporters and saying, oh, we know what's going on because we heard from two people and and here's the problems in the black and Hispanic communities. We wanted to hear from people. And so we had these listening sessions um, throughout the year where we didn't, you know, it was not meant for broadcast. It was just, hey, come on this Zoom call and talk with us and share your concerns. What are you seeing out there? Um, And that really made a difference and it helped kind of form relationships with important sources in the community before we even went out there and reported. I think that was really valuable. And then even just we were very thorough in our reporting. I can't even count how many vaccination events I went out to to talk with people. Carrie was in Sarasota shadowing advocates as they did work in the community. And, and you know, not all of it made it into the final product, but we learned and we really were able to hear from as many people as possible. And that made a difference. Carrie, how, how valuable was that experience for you? If anything, the challenge was trying to make sure that we had the, as many voices as we could get into it. I think at the end, we had so many people that had said these great things. And, um, you know, it wasn't really an easy story to pare down. But I like the way that we were able to do it in a, in a long format like that and really kind of take a look back at how this started and where we are now after nine months uh, into the vaccine rollout. And uh, I also want to give a shout out here to uh, Health News Florida editor Julio Ochoa, who, yes. who edited this series and yeah. helped put it together. I, what kind of guidance did he provide as you were uh, reporting on this? He kept us sane <laughs> during <laughs> many, many stressful months and tight deadlines. And, you know, when we were in May and June and things were calming down, we almost had this mindset that we are doing this look back at, you know, a pandemic wrapped up and then who would have thought Mm -hmm. we're in the worst surge we've ever been. And so juggling this reporting on top of covering those needs of, you know, our hospitals are being overrun and running out of oxygen. That was, you know, incredibly difficult. And Julio really helped, you know, keep us on board and sort of helped figure out how this surge was almost shifting the story and, and maybe making some angles uh, more important than others as we we turn this corner in the pandemic. So I think that was really valuable. And uh, data, <laughs> interpreting the very complicated data from the state and the federal government where it's not always consistent, that was really difficult. And having his assistance on that was instrumental. 
So what questions are you still looking for answers to? Carrie, I'll start with you. Well, one of the things that we came across in the reporting was how there was there is a lack of data about race and ethnicity when it comes to the vaccine. Um, there's a chunk of data that's missing, whether it wasn't recorded when people get the shot or people didn't ask, or it's it's unclear, but there's a significant portion that's missing. So we use the data that we had, but we know that there's more that's missing. So one story that I'm going to be working on is a community, a historically black community in Sarasota called Newtown, where um, some advocates have gotten together and created what they're calling a community self-portrait in data, where they went around to local residents and asked them a number of questions to try to get a better picture of what a community's concerns are, what the problems are. Because often in in a place like Sarasota, you have it's a beach town. You have a lot of retirees. You have a lot of people with high income, but you also have um, poor communities that have a lot of needs. So when you really drill down into a smaller area with their own data, I think it's going to be a really interesting project. Stephanie, what about you? One question still sort of not answered. You know, it was hard to get feedback from the state, uh, the health department and, and people at the top. They uh, did answer some of our public records requests, but it was not always easy. And one thing we were sort of looking for was how much money was spent on some of this outreach and engagement. And then another story I've been reporting on because this project, Unequal Shots, was really how the pandemic kind of highlighted existing inequities in the healthcare system. And we looked at sort of, we're going to be looking at ripple effects. And one of the huge ripple effects of this pandemic was the impact on mental health and the challenges that black and brown people already faced with mental health issues and access to care before the pandemic and how that might have made it more difficult since the pandemic. We're going to be hearing that maybe later this month uh, or next month, putting that story together and, and it'll be a good conversation. Well, Stephanie and Carrie, uh, fantastic work on this series. Uh, Also, again, thanking Julio Ochoa, uh, Health News Florida editor, for his work as well. Thank you all for uh, sharing some of uh, what you learned with us. Thank you. Thanks, Bradley. That was Health News Florida reporters Stephanie Colombini and Carrie Sheridan. You can find the Unequal Shots series at WUSFnews.org. That's Florida Matters for this week. Denora Prevost is our producer. Thank you for listening. We rely on your contributions to bring you in-depth conversations about news and issues in the Tampa Bay region. Here's how you can support WUSF.